0: Hello and welcome
2: back to typically the New Books in Indian Religions podcast, which I host. I'm Dr. Raj Balkaran. But today I'm doing a broader podcast that will be uh, pertinent to uh, the religion channel as well as the film channel. Because the book that we're covering is a brand new 2022 Bloomsbury um, edited volume called Representing Religion in Film. And in addition to it being a, a fascinating topic that's of great interest to me. Uh, I've taught in the area for a number of years at the University of Toronto School of Continuing Studies. Um, Both of the co-editors, my guests today, are sort of in the family. We both have uh, connections to the Department for the Study of Religion at the University of Toronto. And so here we are. Um, I introduce to you Dr. Rebecca King, who is Associate Professor and Co-Director of Religious Studies at Middle Tennessee State University, and Dr. Tenzin Eagle, uh, who's teaching literature and theory in Hong Kong and has a fascinating podcast of his own, called all fascism in cinema. Um, All of their their bio data and podcast links will be in the podcast notes for this podcast. Rebecca Tenzin, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having us.
2: Yeah, so so about this connection, you know, what what was it? We you, I was doing my masters at U of T, Rebecca, when you were doing your your, your PhD, and for some reason I found myself hobnobbing with a bunch of um, um, Christianity uh, Christian studies students, <laughs> for which U of T is known, I suppose, um, and I got to know a bunch of you, uh, probably more uh, pubbing and dining than than conferencing, but but uh, I remember fondly my years doing my masters at U of T. I think that's probably two thousand and seven to two thousand and ten is when we were hobnobbing correct sounds about right
1: yep that sounds correct and Tencent I think you were around at the same time as as that as well were you
0: I was yeah although I don't ever me and Raj never met did we
2: when did we have not but you've been what what I find interesting is that you also did your graduate training at uh, Calgary and Toronto as did I but I think we might have switched places Hmm. you did your your master's at Toronto no at Calgary and then your PhD at Toronto correct Correct. yeah I did the opposite when did you do what years were your PhD that might explain why we never met
0: I was there from 2010 to 2016 in Toronto
2: nice okay so so somewhere in there I ended up going to Calgary for, for a PhD but anyhow great to speak with both of you Tell us a little bit about the genesis, because there is a, there's a, there, there are some interesting strands of the backstory that you share in the intro, but, but for, for our audience here, how did this book come into being? Would you like to take this one, Rebecca?
1: Sure. So I think, as you were aware, when you're a graduate student, um, one of the things that you get the opportunity to do is to teach courses um, after you've sort of finished your comprehensive exams. And University of Toronto is really good about providing venues for their graduate students to teach classes, um, often on sort of an area that is specialized and perhaps somehow related to what they do, but maybe not directly related. Um, and so the Religion of Film course, when both Chenson and I were PhD students at the University of Toronto was a course that was often taught by graduate students. Um, And so we both sort of very eagerly, I guess, applied to teach the class. And Tenzin, I think I taught it before you did. I think I must've taught it in 2009 or something like that. Um, And in putting together the course, we both wanted to have it do something more than just be a course that is about, here are all the reasons or all the examples that we can find um, of religion in in films. And so from very early on in our careers, we were both kind of using this or had this as a side project of interest to us.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent also, although in my case, it was it was a little bit unenthusiastic at first. Um, at the first when I was given the class to teach, I'd never even taken a class on religion and film. I'd taken a film studies class once, but I'd never taken a specific class on religion and film. And I didn't think religion was in film in any intrinsic manner. So I talked to one of my directors and I was like, how can I teach a class on religion and film if I don't even, you know, think it's in film in some particular way? And she said, well, why don't you make that the basis of your class? Which was kind of the direction of scholarship that I was already picking up you know, from all influences from, say, like, McCutcheon and Fitzgerald and everybody else. And so then that kind of became the background for the future development of ideas that are now formulated in this volume.
2: Speaking speaking of the scholarship that you had encountered or engaged up to that point, um, the volume that you've put together fills an important niche. And so tell us a bit about the state of scholarship, um, leading up to this volume in the overlap between
0: religion and film. Well, Rebecca, when you first taught the class, what did you encounter in some of the scholarship you dealt with?
1: Um, Well, I think especially back in that time period, so like the early 2000s, there was a lot of focusing on how film is doing something theologically, right? Whether it is telling stories that are going to resonate with people's own sort of religious beliefs or sense of religious selves. Um, There was a sense that film was doing the work of teaching us how to be good people or how to be ethical people through viewing other people making ethical decisions um, on the screen. And... I think at that point, the really big turn was this idea that maybe we could start to study film in the same way that we study myths, right? And sort of look at religious myths and what they do and say, oh, look, the movies are just modern day myths. And so here we find religion has not not died. In fact, it's just taken a new form. Praise be, right?
2: And so what was missing in that? analysis, what sorts of things, and there's lots of um, great articles, I think, uh, great chapters in the book that, that, that address us in different ways, but without putting words in your mouth. Um, so what's missing? So what are other ways you know, to, to engage the overlap?
0: Well, I found that like, the dominant literature, um, at the time, as Rebecca was just saying, wanted to treat religion as myth, and in doing so, they never subjected the category to any ideological analysis. The books like Screening the Sacred by um, Martin Oswald or Leiden's Film is Religion would sometimes have a little bit of an ideological take on the films that they covered, but they'd never submit the category itself um, so that they would always in the end end up saying something like, you know religion is being mediated through film or the audience has to ideological analysis and and then they would in addition to that they would um want to obscure the real value of ideological analysis by saying that ideological analysis is just a kind of a negative way of looking at how you know, say Hollywood produces bad values for society. There have been certain books that had kind of done this in the past that use ideological they kind of in a way, date back all the way, maybe to the, um, the Frankfurt School, which treats ideological analysis according to the um, the uh, what you might call the paradigm model, which views ideology as this, you know, kind of blanket that governs and darkens our representations in general society. As opposed to seeing ideology as something that each of us partakes in our own value and meaning making. And so, what I think this book adds is it takes a deep critical analysis to look at the different ways that films package both theology and mythology and ideology in a way that obscures the. Althusser called the interpretive method of ideological creation, which takes place at a very personal level. Um, One other thing that it does is we want to incorporate many of the tools of film studies. So one of the critiques that was leveled by people like Plate, who's also published a lot on this subject, against critical scholars like Matsuzawa, McCutcheon, Fitzgerald, etc., is that in their analysis of films, they did publish papers on the subject. They didn't take into account any of the tools of film studies, and so I wanted to incorporate that as well because that's a valid point. Uh, religious studies scholars should also incorporate some of the tools of film studies into their analysis. So summing it this all up, the you could say the theoretical advances of the book are that it simultaneously takes an ideological analysis of religion and film. The first full-length volume on the subject to do this in print and then in addition it mixes this with the tools of film studies so that you have a rather innovative way of uh looking at how religion operates in film well let me rephrase that you look at how an innovative way of how looking at how religion is represented in film that key you know subtle distinction i think is important in how we phrase it because religion doesn't really just like appear in film it's created by directors, screenwriters, actors, and even by audiences in their reception of it. And also by scholars who then look at films and then come up and bring all kinds of assumptions to it. And all this creates various representations about religion in film.
2: Perhaps give us some examples of religion in film, uh, particularly the ones, the examples that are discussed in the volume.
1: Well, I think that's one of the things that we're really excited about this book. So when we first, you know, started talking about what that would look like, uh, we brought the idea to Craig Martin, who is the editor of the series, um, that it's in the Critiquing Religion, Discourse, Culture, and Power series, and I think that. Tenzin, I think you have more faith in everyone all the time than I do, but I was like, I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to find a group of scholars who would be able to take up this task um, and would or would want to. And so, part of what is really exciting is that so many of the chapters have really taken that seriously and tried to draw in um, different. Different sort of theories or frameworks from, uh, from film studies. So, for example, Rebecca Bartel's chapter looking at magical realism and how that sort of operates within uh, Colombian literature or films, and uh, Tingao's piece on auteur theory. Uh, I don't want to get too close, too far into it at this point, but just sort of thinking about some of how these categories have really worked. Tenzin, who's, what would you like to add?
0: Um, I think a great maybe chapter that provides an example is um, Tierra's chapter, chapter one on religious, and part of the reason is because it looks at documentary, and documentary provides an interesting way in which representations in general, ideology in general, is packaged because it's always presented as the real, right? Documentaries always pretend to be like, oh, this is a real representation of what's going on in this particular situation. So in, rep- in Religious, Bill Maher attempts to do that with religion and be like, ah, oh, look how ridiculous religion is. So what Maher does is he kind of goes around the world and he looks at what he sees as crazy religious adherents. And then he says, this is religion. This extremist forms he looks at, for instance, like terrorism um, and other extremist forms. And then he brands that as what, religion is and then he critiques it as dangerous for society and says we all need to you know move beyond it and it's a perfect example of how someone from a new atheist perspective goes about constructing the other that they deem religious and then branding them in a particular way much actually like uh, rebecca covered this kind of topic a little bit in the book stereotyping religion in her chapter on uh what your chapter was called religion is bullshit, right and which you critique people who make kind of facile uh, critiques of religion based in a similar manner like Mar does in uh, Religious. But what's particularly good about Thierry's chapter tying it into the general theoretical innovations of the book and stuff is that he uses the lens to show how documentaries create this illusion of the real um, and the otherizing of, you know, Balsworth, but vast swaths of people on the planet under, say, kind of a derogatory heading. I want
1: to circle back. Sorry, go on. Go on, Rebecca. No, go ahead. You circle back. What were you going to say? No,
2: please go
1: ahead. Okay. Uh, Well, then I was going to say, yeah, and I think Leslie Dero-Smith's piece does a lot of that, too, although from a very different perspective. So she's looking at the film A Wrinkle in Time and picking up the ways that the sort of the three misses uh, characters in the film by who are portrayed by Mindy Calling, Oprah Winfrey and Reese Witherspoon, how their identities are kind of doing this sort of telling a story about a spiritual but not religious framework um, and representing that in a certain way or with a certain venue uh, to its audience. And the part of it relies on the, fa- the role that these people have played in other in other films or other popular depictions in media, right? So Reese Witherspoon's character in *Legally Blonde* sort of reappears in a different way to s- sort of signify certain things to the audience. And of course, you know Oprah Winfrey is the the great example of this iconic figure in the American consciousness. And so how she's able to represent something about religiosity um, without actually doing anything religious, I think is a really important framework to think about these larger issues that uh, Leslie uh, then uh, studies around kind of race and gender and identity.
0: One Let's... other example that, um, that I just mentioned in the intro, popped my mind, because um, because it provides, an in, there's these Three general models but framed religions. So like the Ten Commandments, you know, can clearly be viewed, Charlton Heston's famous uh you know mega epic can be viewed easily in theological terms, as say, like a cinematic recreation of the story of Exodus, but it can also be viewed in mythological terms and has been by people who want to see Heston's portrayal of uh you know fight against. Tyranny is say like a universal struggle of the hero in his journey for redemption. It can also be viewed ideologically in very productive ways though.
2: So I'm gonna circle back to something that you said at the outset, that's uh, very much related to the point you're making with um, the ways in which people might or have viewed uh, analyze the Ten Commandments and that has to do with this idea of you know the mythological lens viewing religion as mythology and predominance thereof hitherto. see a bit more about that. So for example, why is it that that uh that scholars have predominantly used the lens of mythology while looking at religion and film and and why is that problematic in your opinion?
1: I think that part of it is, because we we get caught in the frameworks of our discipline, right that so much of what we do is textual analysis that to see film as a text is perhaps just an, a natural way of way of sort of mediating it or interacting with it. but and that's really I think where, especially Tencent's expertise in film studies becomes so important because it allows us to move beyond thinking, okay, well, here's just a text as if it's like a text being performed or read out loud, right? Um, To move beyond thinking of films as scripts to thinking of all of the other components of filmmaking. So the cinematography and the mise-en-scene, the, uh, the music, the, the lighting, all of those elements are things that as scholars of religion, we tend not to pay too much attention to. And in different ways, the contributors to this book have tried to draw upon some of those themes and um, without trying to do too much, right? But to pull out some of those themes to highlight in their individual chapters. And what I think is really great is that then makes this really lovely collection that is beneficial to scholars um, and even more so I think would be beneficial in the classroom.
2: So um, that, what you just said, segues to one of the questions I was going to ask later on, but it's perfect to ask. Now, who do you think would most benefit, might most benefit from this volume, might might most be interested in?
0: Um, Well, I think the book is perfect for any introductory class on the subject because it you know contains a summary of all the previous scholarship on the field and then all these great individual chapters which provide examples of you know how to perform a good ideological analysis of religion in film representations of religion in film um that is successful to undergrads but it will probably also be useful to graduate studies too to show how uh, you know, scholarly discourse evolves. I mean, the evolution of film studies from the 1980s, up, 90s in particular, up to now, is something that's quite interesting that I think is detailed well in the introduction and um, provides a nice, say, uh, introduction to a, you know, fascinating topic. Because films films are such a wonderful way to look at how religion is created. You know, in our field, we tend to get bogged down with you know the historical Analysis of how religion is created, at least at an advanced level. And that's very important scholarly work to do. But students, I think, respond far more, um, far better to like popular topics that they can latch onto. And cinema is something that everybody participates in every single weekend. And every student usually has some opinion about you know, religion and film in some way, the way some particular representation.
1: Yeah, I think we kind of envisioned it as having two roles like one that you could use this as your textbook for a religion and film class. Um, And it would be really meaningful to engage with these themes over the course of the semester. Right. There are 12 chapters and that fits really nicely into um, at least at the American institutions where we have these 12 to 14 week uh, semesters. But you could also. And I'm not sure if, if Bloomsbury will like me saying this because it doesn't encourage people to purchase entire books. But you could also very easily pull specific chapters out of it in order to think with them. Right. So if you were interested in if you're teaching a class on the, the, the mythos of Orientalism. Right. Uh, you know, Mike Altman's piece on West Anderson's Darjeeling Limited is just perfect for that, too kind of pull that out and get students excited about doing that work of talking about a very clear representation of this in our contemporary culture as part of a larger course that might be looking historically at these occurrences.
2: Are there other papers that you'd that you you'd like for us to touch on in terms of their key themes or subfields or or interests that might be sparked by looking at them?
0: It's hard to pick just one because each provides such a unique and different lens by which to critique how film is how religion is represented represented in film uh in you know Dennis Larusso's chapter he does a great job of showing how films that can be read films like secret to my success for instance or joy can can be read according to what Joseph called the hero's quest which you know influences also mega mega, mega ways films like star wars which talked about by uh, Richard Newton in our closing chapter. But in the Russo's chapter, he looks at how films like Joy, although they can be read according to these mythological themes, largely contain capitalist impulses and tropes that conceal various ideological agendas. Um, So that's a great example. Mallory Nye's chapter is brilliant, which looks at how race, and colonialism are operative in Martin Scorsese's Silence. And it does a great job of showing how a film that on its surface uh, is all about Portuguese missionaries going over to uh, to uh, Japan to convert the so-called, quote-unquote, heathens, is really a film about white colonialism and issues of race and how it conceals all of that in the guise of religion, right? It presents it like, oh, this is the film about, you know, these. Religious martyrs who go over there and uh, sacrifice their lives for the truth they believe in, but Nye shows how it's really about how religion has been used in the past as a form of, you know, colonial exploitation and colonial definition. And um, so that's a, another perfect example of general, uh, say, framework of the book in action in a particular lens.
1: One of the chapters that i'm really excited about and i think is probably very significant perhaps to the three of us since we're all canadian is uh matthew Matt, Matt Sheedy's piece on uh the revenant and looking at depictions of indigenous cultures or traditions within uh within north american cinema and part of what is really exciting about it is that he walks us through in a really beautiful way, the, you know, the vast history of, you know, the way that First Nations or Indigenous or Native American peoples have been represented in film. And, but then doesn't quite leave it there. Like, he's interested in this question of, well, now that we're seeing this Indigenous renaissance um and res- the resistance movements that are rising up, how are filmmakers grappling with that? And I think that, it's capturing this really important moment in indigenous filmmaking that is only going to expand and continue to grow. And part of what's exciting about Matt's piece is that it's, it's sort of picking that and saying, here's this thing that's happening, let's pay attention to what is going on.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Matt's, Matt's chapter is a great example of like how representations of indigenous spirituality constructed in the past kind of you know through a colonial lens um, and how they're being critiqued these former representations and reimagined in contemporary film much like in a similar way things we often have to do in the general religious studies classroom is you know look at the past and how its religion has been imposed upon peoples or societies and then how the critiques of the contemporary are affecting how people are seeing it now Um, it's in that way Again, maybe this is a general theme you might want to point out that the book, I think, is a microcosm of what we do in religious studies in general. So many of the chapters could have a general application in that way to say even introductory classes about religious studies in general, um, because films just in general provide such a great medium to look at how, as cultural actors, we construct worlds of symbolic meaning. But to do so in a way without just assuming some you know, theological or mythological definition of religion as sui generis and standing over and above the material that we're analyzing, but reflected through the narratives that are influencing and uh, representing the past or the present.
2: Did you wanna to touch on the remaining papers in the volume? I think we've covered most of them at this point, actually, because each of them, as you as you mentioned, uh, there are various, um, each paper may well contribute to a course on, um various topics and so maybe we should make mention of the ones that we haven't so far.
1: Well if you were teaching a course on apocalypticism you would be pleased to find uh, Aaron Rickers' piece on Hellboy uh, which really offers a really wonderful sort of framework like he did a really great job walking us through what are these different types of apocalypticism and how are they manifest um rather unexpectedly in Hellboy um, and then of course there is uh, Beth Singler's work on the Terminator uh, franchise and AI, and that and this is her area of study is related to how we are imagining artificial intelligence and how people are responding um, to artificial intelligence as sort of the threat, <laughs> the threat of AI. Um, and I think that that really speaks in a relevant way to our to our contemporary experience. It was, it was fun reading these chapters as they were coming in during the pandemic, <laughs> kind of being alone with my despair, but feeling like, oh, there are people who are formulating these really intelligent ways of thinking about what this tells us about the assumptions we make around uh, around our interactions with with the machine, right?
0: Yeah, I think a whole other book could probably be written on writing, trying to you know organize a volume during the pandemic. Um, it's itself an experience. Um,
1: oh, yeah, and then the, oh, go ahead. Sorry,
0: I was just going to say the conjunction of Rickers' chapter and Singler's, which follow each other in the volume, do kind of offer quite an interesting way to uh, you know. Whereas Rickers, like deconstructing the apocalyptic theme in film through an analysis of uh, you know comic book representations in cinema single shows how representations of ai and film play with these themes of you know like predestination messianic salvation and the godlike wrath of uh, of ai and then how audiences you know put that to work in contemporary society like people who pick up you know terminator for instance as an example of bad things that will happen to us in the future with the advent of AI upon the world. Um, And Newton's chapter on Star Wars is great for this too, because with Star Wars provided such an interesting example of a movie that not only was distinctly, you know, say, created by the director drawing upon mythic interpretations of religion, George Lucas has blatantly stated many times that he drew upon the work of Joseph Campbell and the theory of the, you know, the hero's quest and his formation of like Luke Skywalker and the quest he goes through and stuff. But also with the formation of uh, Jediism, which is just, you know, a kind of a popular form of uh, popular culture, religion. The way in which people have picked up those themes in the movie and then turned it into something that they would call a religion provides a really interesting, like, example of how these representations can take on a life of their own and then can be picked up and put to life you know on the street in different ways
2: fascinating if i'm not mistaken the only one we haven't touched on is sean mcleod's paper
0: oh and that's a really good one too
1: so i need to admit that hereditary is the only film that i haven't watched in this entire book the volume um, i was i'm not good with horror movies so i didn't watch it um, although i did have two of my students uh student workers uh watched the film so shout out to river and liam thank you for doing that on my behalf um but yeah his chapter despite the fact that I haven't watched the film, is one of my favorites in the volume, because I think he's really pointing to the way that we tell narratives about um, mental health, family history, and social dynamics, and how religion almost becomes this easy escape, right? To then turn to the demonic and just, you know, in conclusion it turns out this isn't this larger social ill that is the problem the devil did it um but maybe tenzin you want to say something just in case i'm misrepresenting it based on having not well, seen the film no
0: that, that, that's that's perfect only thing i would add to it is just <laughs> the director himself area aster he also did uh, summer summerland which, which I also on. have
1: not seen, but I I've re- listened to the great podcast episode on fascism and cinema on it. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you. We, yeah, we covered that. And it was, um, what he does is really fascinating because he takes basically like psychological topics, you know, like in Hereditary, the, most of the film is gesturing towards the fact that the psychotic breaks <laughs> that the central characters have gone through are due to a hereditary inheritance, you know, or psychological issues that are inherited by this uh, son, but by others in the family as well. But then at the very end, there's this twist, and he puts it all upon the emphasis of a cult that's in the family. Uh, I can't remember exactly I think the grandmother is into witchcraft or something. And again, I'm going to mess it up because the particulars are a little fuzzy. But, you know, religion is used as a scapegoat to explain psychological issues, and it's a kind of a simplistic way of escaping the problem of create, creating how evil is created in narratives by um, by jettisoning, say, the real material conditions of existence. Um, and in *Summerland*, he kind of does a little bit of a of a similar thing. And so, anyway, he's he's a really interesting director in this regard for both for creating representations of religion as a scapegoat, in which you could maybe critique him like McLeod does in our volume, but also to show how, to show how you know popular audiences love this stuff. There's like a certain sublime joy, I think, that audiences get when a director uses, you know, like, do ex machina, you know, God kind of as a scapegoat to explain something, whether it be in relation to evil or good. And that's kind of how, you know, to quote LaRusso, how um, cinema movies give us carefully construct consumer consumer joy. Like, I think the big box office producers, the big Hollywood producers, they know that, you know, they're gonna sell more tickets if they have a, a hero who has superhero powers or, the you know, a hero who um, is, has evil some evil influence that's leading him astray rather than just say oh he's got you know mental problems and the scholarship often works in the same way right they create supernatural assumptions or assume supernatural things because it i think it um i don't want to say it be as crass to say it helps them sell their scholarship but at least it it gives their scholarship a certain you know magical appeal right which there's a certain sublime joy in relying upon that trope
1: yeah, and I think that's really, at the end of the day, what we were hoping this book would accomplish is to do the work of critiquing this idea of religion and showing how that critique is happening in different uh, cinemagraphic contexts. So, you know, whether it's the way that we see the the, the mythic East envisioned in uh, Jarjolene Limited, whether it's uh, the notion of kind of indigenous sovereignty issues um, and representations of God in films like The Revenant, uh, or if it's in the way that Buddhism is constructed, uh, both for popular audiences, but one of the things that Ting Gao does in her chapter is she actually takes aim at uh, Zizek and his construction of Buddhism, pointing out that as a scholar, he has misunderstood and that the film actually provides a way so cloud out as the film provides a way for us to better understand these categories than perhaps these esteemed scholars do
2: fascinating is there anything else about the volume that you hope to be touched on today
0: um maybe just theoretically which is something i touch on in the conclusion, which is, um, you know, how to go about constructing a religion and film course, in light of the critique offered to this book, like what kind of a course it looks like at the end of the day, um, how it's different than maybe than the traditional or, you know, some earlier versions of the course that have been popular in universities around the world. Is that instead of trying to define religion, you look at, one, um, how various representations of religion appeared in the film in the past. And these can be of messiahs, saints, of superheroes, of evil, some of the different themes we cover in the book, but also how it's been interpreted in film and film criticism. So that at the end of the day, instead of what's po- what was popular, say, when I first and Rebecca first uh, taught this class in grad school, where religion is treated as a myth, basically, that is operative through film and influences audiences in one way or, or another, perhaps sacred, depending on the different scholar you're looking at. Um, you kind of look at religion as film, meaning you see it as a product of its technical and material elements its ideological elements, um, you know, the money that goes into producing a big film, the assumptions that go into writing a screenplay, the makeup, the costumes, um, the various camera angles, the cinematography, and how all these things literally create religion in popular culture. Um, and I think that at a deep level, theoretically, is what has always fascinated me about this topic and how I went from say being a little bit of hesitant to teaching this subject when I first was given the course. To really enthusiastically taking it up is that I began to see that religion sorry films provide a perfect uh, venue by which to analyze how religion is created in popular culture at all um,
1: and I think I just want to add that I hope people enjoy the book you know the the chapters are fantastic right it's a they're each one of them are really great and worth reading. So I'm not worried at all that anyone's going to come and be upset or angry at us about like any of the contributions, but I'm anticipating that there will be a lot of people who have thoughts on topics that we didn't include or films that we didn't include. And so I'm really excited to hear from people about what they would like to see if there was to be a second volume, for example, of this book um, as part of the Critiquing Religion Uh, series and that gives me a chance to plug the series. Uh, Craig Martin is the editor for this series and um, I was chatting with him recently and he mentioned that he is always looking for proposals. So uh, take a look at the other books that are part of the series. Um, They're not all obviously film. (laughs) There's a, a different array of types of books and so if that's something that appeals to you and your scholarship, maybe some of your listeners would be interested in sending him a proposal.
2: Excellent. Thanks so much for appearing on the podcast today.
1: Great. Thank Thank you. you. For those
2: of you listening, of course, we've been speaking with uh, Dr. Rebecca King and Dr. Tenzan Eagle. co-editors of a fascinating new bloomsbury publication uh representing religion and film until next time stay safe stay well keep listening keep reading keep looking for religion in film and look more carefully in terms of how that religion is represent represented (laughs) take care